Welcome back to season four of Stern Chats. I'm Devna Shukla. And I'm Andrew Slotnick. Devna, who do we have on today's episode? Today we're hosting fellow Sterny Namdi Abukwalu. Namdi started his MBA this past September, and we're excited to share his story with all of you. Prior to coming to Stern, Namdi played football at Harvard University, and then later became a defensive tackle for the Indianapolis Colts. He was also an equity research analyst at Hedge Risk Management and spent some time as an associate at State Street. Devna, what stuck out from this episode with Namdi? There really just so much to him. You know, he's a son of Nigerian immigrants and is really proud about his Nigerian heritage. And he's also someone who I just know that we're going to hear so much more about what he's done in his life, even after playing professional football. How about you? I was really impressed by his interests outside of football as well. Our listeners are in for a real treat. Namdi actually demonstrated his passion for poetry by reciting a powerful poem by Langston Hughes on the show. I can't wait for you guys to hear more. Should we start the show? Flip the switch and let's go. Cue that music. From New York University Stern campus, this is Stern Chats, the podcast that tells the hidden stories between the lines of someone's resume. In the interest of serving the Stern community, building relationships, and unlocking important life lessons, we present these stories to a wider audience. Welcome back to today's episode of Stern Chats. We are thrilled to have Namdi Ubakulu here in the studio with us today. Thank you for joining us today. Happy to be here. So, Namdi, you're new to the Stern community. Many of us have met you. Um, Some have not had the chance to get to know you yet. Do you mind giving us a 20-second pitch uh, so we can learn a little bit about you and so all of our listeners can understand who you are? Yeah, for sure. Um, My name is Namdi Obukhalu. I'm a first-year MBA or MBA1 here at Stern, as we say. Um, I am originally from Boston, Massachusetts, born and raised there. So I'm through and through a Boston guy. Uh, I did my undergrad at Harvard. Um, After Harvard, I played in the NFL for a year for the Colts as a linebacker and defensive end. Um, Unfortunately, I had to walk away from the game due to injuries. And I got into a a gig in finance at State Street Bank. Um, I was a sales trader there for about a year, year and a half. I transitioned out of there into equity research, and I'm getting my MBA here at Stern. I have so much I want to ask you. I just like have to jump and get started. First yeah. question: Can you tell us about your name? Is there a story, or does it mean something? Yeah. So, um, as is told to me, uh, the name Namdi is Ibo. So I'm Ibo. So all my Nigerians stand up, please. I was born about a year after my uh, grandfather passed away, uh, my mom's dad, and um, so Namdi in Ibo means my father's alive. So I was given that name as sort of a tribute to him my grandfather, um, because apparently, according to my parents, I resemble him in many regards, whether it's like demeanor, um, appearance, he's very hairy, I'm very hairy, sort of like (laughs) stuff like that, that um, that Ibos believe in. And um, so, yeah, kind of like almost like a reincarnation of him, Mm -hmm. but not as creepy. Just got it. What a powerful story. (laughs) Born with a full head of hair. Yeah, I know. Ready to go. Gray beard, everything. Yeah. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about growing up in Boston, Yeah. Um, what it was like being there. Obviously, yeah. you were tremendously successful academically, yeah. um, football career. Where, where did that start? I have to sort of rewind all the way back to, so I grew up right outside of Boston. I say Boston because it's easier for people. I grew up in Brockton, Massachusetts. It was a very blue-collar you know, city. Um, it used to be a big factory town back in the day. So... Um, it still has that personality nowadays. I was in public school up until middle school. Uh, my sixth grade teacher, Miss Heather Clow, 
who I still talk to from now and again. Nice. Um, saw that I was like really driven as a young person. Um, and she wanted me to, I guess, really challenge myself academically. And she felt that the public schools weren't doing that for me. The public schools are great there, but for her, it was like, you should go elsewhere. Um, she recommended a private school called Boston College High School in Boston, Massachusetts, but the, it's a private school, so tuition is very high. And my parents are lower middle class, very blue collar people. My dad's a cab driver, mom's a nurse assistant, and they still do that to this day. So they didn't have the money to send me to, pup, to private school. And I was a second born of five boys. So my dad and my mom were like, yo, you're not going unless your brothers go with you. So <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> protect you in yeah, the hallways. Yeah, of course, yeah. Protect them. And they wanted us to have the same opportunities mm. altogether. Um, so their thing was like, okay, well, um, your older brother gets to go first because he's older than me. So he, got, he went first to BC High. Um, so he transferred from the public schools to the private school there as a sophomore in high school. Um, so he kind of got to go through it before I did. He's two years older than I am. Um, and then I went after him. And then the third one went, the fourth one went, the fifth one just graduated this past May. And he's a freshman in college now. So that's sort of my upbringing through growing up in Boston. A funny story about how I got into football. So I, I was a big basketball player growing up. I played it every day. I played AAU basketball Nice. Um, growing up. So I was, I was decent. I was pretty good. I was more of like a Ben Wallace kind of a banger you know, in the paint. Ben Wallace from <laughs> Richmond, yeah. Virginia. Yeah. Haven't heard that name in a long time. <laughs> so um, I was, that was the kind of player that I was. Uh, limited skill set, I'd say. At most. Okay. Um, but um, my mom was like, hey, let's do the math here. So she sat me down. She's like, look, you're a good athlete. Let's do the math here. There are 12 people on a basketball team. There were 53 on a football team. Your odds of making the football team are much better, and your odds of having a football career, you know, in high school and college are much better. You should play football. I was like, wow, mom, that's pretty impressive. So, and I, so I tried out for the football team as a freshman. I made the team. Um, I played all through high school. My senior year, I was, you know, All-State and, you know, all that type of stuff. Started getting recruited by a lot of colleges, um, a lot of, like, big football schools like UVA, Duke, um, Boston College recruited me as well. But um, my older brother, who was two years older, was already at Harvard playing football. Got it. So I was sort of, I was already open to that option. Um, They had been recruiting me as well. Um, I was very comfortable with the coaching staff and the teammates that he had there. So I knew the environment very well. Um, so I'd say that I was already sort of leaning towards going there if I was able to gain admission. Um, fortunately, I was, and I, I went there, uh, played football, had a great career, made it to the NFL. You're part of such a big family of all brothers, too. Yeah. What is that like to grow up with such a, I'm assuming, loud, rowdy, yeah. fun household? How has yeah. that sort of made you who you are today? So it's funny. Growing up, it, 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 it was a lot of fun. Um, but growing up in a Nigerian household, as with many, I guess, first-generation families in America, like your house is like, you know, your parents are very strict. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't matter what's going on. When your dad walks in the room, everybody sits down. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's like at attention. <laughs> um, so like it was fun growing up, um, but it was a very strict household. And I think that having that sort of strictness growing up really helped us achieve what we have done so far in life. Um, I would say that when it was just us and our mom at home and our dad was at work, it was Royal Rumble all day. It was, like, <laughs> wrestling and, like, suplexing off the bunk beds and, like, stuff like that, like what boys do. We broke a lot of walls growing up. Um, but I'd say it was a lot of fun. Always somebody to play with and hang out with and go out with. It was never a dull moment. You always had a 
you always had a compadre, and that was always good. Were your parents supportive of sports, or were they so strict that they were just like, study, stick to the yeah. books, get sort of like a quote-unquote real job? Yeah, so um, I, I'd say my parents were very supportive because um, they sort of made us have strict guidelines growing up. So it was, for example, if we got anything below, like we couldn't get below Bs across the board on your report card. If you got anything below a B, you couldn't play that season. So um, we always had to keep everything above a B. So I think they sort of set that standard early on. Um, and since we were able to meet that standard, they were very supportive of, every, of everything we did athletically. Um, my parents are both huge sports fans. Um, when they first moved to America in the 80s, they moved to Dallas, Texas, which, of course, is a big football town, like the height of, you know, uh, Emmett Smith and Troy Aikman. Sure. So they were huge football fans, of at least of Dallas football. Um, so they knew the sport very well. So they love sports. So just to make sure that I understand this, you didn't even put on a football helmet until you were in ninth grade. That was the yeah. first opportunity. Yeah, I didn't, which is a good thing you picked up on that. Yeah, I didn't play football until I was 14 years old. That's crazy. Yeah. And to be able to pick it up that fast to a point where you were getting yeah. recruited by a lot of great schools. Yeah. Wish you went to UVA. That's why I went <laughs> to school. But um, I guess that leads me into the my next question is, why did you choose Harvard? Was it because your brother was already there? Yeah. Obviously, Harvard is Harvard. Yeah. But um, but Harvard and football, to me, does not make sense, right? Yeah, so, like, yeah. Harvard is great at so many things. I actually didn't realize Harvard was a D1 school. Yeah. I went to UCLA, <laughs> so I thought being D1 is, like, there's, like, 10 schools that are really great, yeah. and UCLA is one of them, of course. Yeah. Um, but it, the Harvard and football thing is a really mm -hmm. interesting um, dichotomy to me. Yeah, no, that's great questions. I think um, – so, yeah, so not many people know Harvard has a really good football program. Um, I think over the past maybe 20 years, it's been 80% 80% winning percentage. Um, so we don't lose many games at Harvard. Um, and for me, why did I go there? Yeah, my brother was there. Um, you know, having the, to be honest, having sort of like the immigrant uh, sort of households, um, when you say like Harvard, especially Amongst Nigerians, it's like, yeah, Harvard, you have to go. You have to go. <laughs> you can't say no. Just sign up. <laughs> Just sign. Where do I sign? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I think um, I, growing up, I saw my parents really work hard, you know, every day, like day in and day out to make ends meet. And I think that um, I was thinking, I wasn't even thinking like football. I was thinking like life mm. after football, after college. And I think that for me personally, Harvard sort of just made more sense um, given what I wanted to do for my family and what, what, what I wanted to do long term for me personally. Did you miss basketball during high school? Because you said you yeah. played every day and then you basically switched sports. Yeah. Did you miss it or long for the basketball court? I missed it so much. Um, I played pickup ball every day during lunch. Um, I, Did your coach like that? <laughs> no, I, yeah, <laughs> I definitely rolled my ankle a lot. Oh boy. Uh, and I go to practice banged up. But um yeah, I, I still loved watch basketball. I still play pickup basketball. I'm much bigger than I was back then, but I still play. So at what point in college were you like, okay, this football thing is, is working out. Yeah. Maybe I can do something with this. Um, at what point did you sit there and say, I need to concentrate maybe more effort into football because I think that's the most immediate opportunity? Yeah. Did you trade that off with academics? Yeah. Talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, it's great. I think um, as far as the decisions I made when, you know, as far as, fully going on football in college. Um, I'd say it was probably sophomore year. Um, it gets to a point where, like, you can kind of tell where you stand, one, physically um, against other people on your team. And I think I was top top end physically. 
And that's part of that's just the first part of the challenge is physically playing football. And then um, from skill from a skill set perspective, football is relatively new to me. I only played it for five years. Um, so I, from a skill set perspective, I was pretty limited. But I think that having the physical attributes helped me propel myself much further than other teammates. Um, and then my um, my position coach um, during my first two years of college, Carlton Hall, who's still a coach now but at a different school, and we still keep in touch, um, he was very integral in sort of uh, me developing that skill set really early on. Um, we'd stay after practice, and we'd sort of run through drills, um, and we'd do things like that. And also older classmates. I feel like older classmates sort of saw my potential, as weird as that seems, and they kind of helped me sort of, hey, this kid has a lot of potential, let's help him sort of like get there faster. So they did a lot of things like whether it's like helping me watch film, helping me develop a vocabulary when it came to football so I knew how to talk the game of football, X's and O's, which is very important. It's hard. Yeah. There's there's a huge mental element to yeah. it, and that's something that I've always appreciated yeah, that sure. you really have to be smart about the strategy yeah. to be a good p- football player mm-hmm. beyond being just very physical. Yeah. I mean, part of the rec- – when you're going from college to the NFL, part of the recruiting process is coaches sitting you down – Running you, th- running through film with you, and you have to speak intelligently about why you did this, why mm-hmm. you made this decision. It's not always about how fast your forty is, or how far you can jump, or how high, how high you can jump. It's about can this person talk football? Can they think football through and through? So Stern chats fun fact. One of our amazing producers, Anthony Russ, also played <laughs> football at yeah. Harvard. Yeah. I'm curious if you guys ever played together. Yeah, or- yeah. And what that camaraderie was like. Because for me, I can only imagine what it's like to be a student at Harvard, yeah. obviously one of the best schools that we have out there. But then to play football there, what was like a, d- a day-to-day uh, like for you as an yeah. athlete there? So I'm sure Tony will tell you this too. It was, it was tough. It was because there was no slack when you became when, being an athlete at Harvard. It was, you didn't have extra time to do work. You had to go to all your classes. You, had, you, you were held to the same standard as any other student, um, which was great because that's how life is. You're not really given... You're not really given much slack in life. You have to get your work done, get your stuff done. Um, but um, I think that a day in life would be, so we'd have 6 a.m. workouts in the off-season four times a week. Um, so we'd be up at 5.30, get to, the, get, to the, get, to the weight, get to the stadium, get to the arena. We'd lift for about an hour and a half. Then most of us had class by 8, 8.30. Um, and then we'd have to get to class. We'd have a full day of classes. And then we'd have to go back over to the uh, stadium for film. Um, sort of like, you know, just like going through film, sort of practicing, like sort of scouting people for the, for the next season. Um, so it was a full day. I mean, I didn't get to, most guys didn't get to sped until maybe 1 or 2 a.m. And we had to be up at 5.30 the next morning. And that was like, that was your life. Wow. And that was, the, it was, in hindsight, it was kind of wild, but it was a lot of fun. And, yeah. Did your professors care? Again, so Andrew yeah. went to um, UVA, I went to UCLA, big sports schools that yeah. really care a lot about it. Did anyone care that you guys played or... Uh, no. Short answer is, like, no, uh, and as sad as that may be. But it was, like, you know, a lot of them, um, there was a a huge lack of, I'd say, overall campus support for for um, a lot of the sports teams because there's just so much going on. And right. at, at a school like that, it's such a, such a machine, right? Mm-hmm. And athletics is just one cog of that machine. So I think that over time, for sure, from freshman year to senior year, there was a huge change. I think that the administration wanted to make athletics like more of an integral part of student life. So they'd mm-hmm. push students going to games a lot more, um, give different incentives, whether it's T-shirts, free food, stuff like that. But um, I think early on there was definitely a lack of support, 
as far as like people going to the games and pro- 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 professors are so busy they really didn't you know they, yeah. they, they didn't really mention it in class or anything like that yeah, yeah definitely how did you um, begin the process of looking to go into the NFL yeah um, was that a very formal process was it more scouts coming to you and saying hey Nami I think you're really good mm-hmm. I think you'd fit well on our team and that made you think about it more mm-hmm. yeah um, so as far as the process goes early so you'll start seeing if you're if you're a prospect a lot of times teams will come to your practice um, and they'll just like watch you practice so like my position coach or head coach will pull me aside and say hey you know XYZ team is here during practice have a good practice like don't don't screw up today um, and then um, so they, they see me at practice uh, sometimes they would sort of like, you know, chat with you after practice. Um, sometimes not. Some it depends what the team is like. Some, some scouts are very hand off, hands off. Some are like really involved. Um, and then um, you'll see like more teams start coming and it becomes really a thing over the course of the season. Scouts come to games. It's funny because you can see them in the stands or on the sideline. Like if you're looking around, you can see like a scout from like the Giants sort of sitting there with the, with the pen and pad like, writing down as you're playing during a game. Um, so you can kind of see that stuff. So it kind of gets in your head a bit as a young person. Um, but the biggest part was just sort of focusing on the task at hand and playing ball. Um, and then um, after the season's over, agents start calling. Um, you start to get voicemails and emails from different agents look sort of inquiring about what you're thinking about doing, whether you want to sign with them or who you're looking to sign with. Um, and then once you sign with an agent, it's sort of full go from there. Um, you sign up for different, if you're invited to the combine, the official combine, you go to that. There's also regional combines that lesser players go to, players from smaller schools go to. So that I, I went to a regional combine and then from there, you go to a national combine. Um, and then all the teams are at, at that combine, yeah. It sounds so stressful. I'm thinking about recruiting here at Stern where you are trying to put your best foot forward and yeah. get noticed. And it seems like, to your point, these scouts and recruiters are actually coming to your games and they're they're waiting for you to mess up. Yeah. Like they've heard good things probably about you. They've mm-hmm. showed up and now they want to see are they going to basically literally fumble. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, yeah, it's a great point. I didn't really like the process at all because it's very unrealistic. Like they have a 300-pound man running a 40-yard dash. When are you ever gonna have? If a three hundred pound guy is running a, running down running forty yards downfield, something's gone horribly wrong mm-hmm. during the course of a game. Or right, or they right. could have picked up a fumble. Or that, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That happens way less often exactly. than getting gashed uh, for for a fifty yard gain. Um, so I think um, I didn't. I think that a lot of the metrics they use are kind of like what they're comfortable with. And I think a lot of and I've heard from coaches that they don't put as much weight on different things depending on what position you play. Um, but it's very very stressful and having sort of this, you know, one-shot deal um, is all just adds more stress to it. Yeah. So then you basically get to a point where the Colts want to sign you. Yeah, yeah. Was it a difficult decision? Was it easy? What really came into, you know, your mind and really your family when it came to signing with them? Yeah, so let's just rewind before that. Um, so they were, so I was getting, I think, interest from a bunch of different teams. Like before the, the actual draft happened, you get a lot of phone calls from teams verifying your cell phone number, your email, so they can make sure they can get a hold of you mm-hmm. during the draft. Um, and I was getting you know, different indications of where I'd go in the draft, as high as the fourth round, as low as undrafted. So I was kind of like, okay, that's a huge gap. What do, I, what do I do here? So me and my family watched the draft. like every We watched like every day of the draft up until the very end. And then like uh, the last day came, and the last pick went and came. Came and went. And my mom and dad were like, oh, well, you know, you didn't make it. It's kind of like kind of sad, but, you know, you'll, you're, you'll be fine. So they thought it was over. 
Um, they didn't understand there was like an undrafted free agent process after. And five minutes after the first draft was, after the last draft was called, last name was called, um, I get a call from the, the Colts. And then my agent gets a call from the Kansas City Chiefs. So we had two teams who wanted to, um, were interested in signing me. Um, and my agent was like, look, the Chiefs have a lot of young linebackers, DNs. Your odds are much higher if you go with the Colts because they're an older defensive line. Um, so your op- your chances are a lot better of making the team. Um, so I was like, all right. I, and I kind of talked to the uh, I talked to their scout who was sort of recruiting me, and I kind of had the same conversation with him. And he said, kind of said the same thing. He had, we need some young guys here. We're getting older up front. If you could join us, that'd be awesome. Um, so I, I I said yes. They sent me the contract. I signed it that night. And then I was on a plane to Indianapolis the next morning. Are you serious? I was going to ask, like, what did you do to celebrate? It sounds like you packed Nothing. your bags. I didn't I didn't celebrate until, yeah, I, I packed my bags that night, and I was at Logan Airport in Boston the next morning to go to Indy. Wow. Um, didn't really have time to celebrate. Didn't have time to reflect <clears throat> until much later on in, in my life. Yeah. So the general public gets a look into training camp through things like Hard Knocks. Mm. Can you share a little bit about your experience that yeah. first summer with the Colts, that first summer in the NFL, working yeah. with folks like Andrew Luck, that yeah. whole team. I get to the I get to the practice facility the first day and I'm uh, I'm lost. So I'm like, don't know where to go. Nobody's like really helping me. And then I hear a voice like down the hall. He's like, yo, rookie. And as I turn around, it's Andrew Luck. He's like, meetings this way. And then I turn around and I, I chase him down the hallway. Um, so that was my first encounter with Andrew. Nice. Um, he's a really nice guy. Um, very genuine. Really smart, um, but I, it was a lot of it was a lot of work. Very very stressful. Um, the NFL locker room is like a revolving door, so even through camp you have new faces every day. Like people come and go, guys get cut, guys get brought in, almost every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like you don't know when you're you gonna get that tap on the shoulder. Hey, it's time, it's time for you to go, or you didn't really know what was going on. Um, but it's it's more just about I I got through it by just focusing on what my goals were. My goal was to make the team. Um, so I didn't really focus too much on what was going on outside. But it was a lot of work. Um, they feed you a lot. <laughs> a lot. Like, it's the the the, the A lot resources. of information or food? Both. <laughs> the, the resources the NFL teams have are, is actually pretty incredible, from nutrition to a lot of teams now have, like, mental health, um, sort of, like, health and wellness. That's uh, awesome. People, physicians on staff. So I think... Uh, they had a lot of resources for us, um, but it was a lot of work, a lot of long days. For rookies, we'd have to be up at 5.30 for lift um, most days. So um, we lift and then practice. So that was a, that made it really, really tough. But um, it, was, it was a lot of fun, I think. So I played with Robert Mathis, who now retired, but probably one of the greatest linebackers, defensive ends in NFL history. And um, he was very, very uh, nice to me. Like he, he was like, hey, you're a smart guy. I'm going to give you some tips. I'm sure you're going to make the most of these tips. So he pulled me aside and helped me a lot when it came to just, like, learning about the game, learning about the speed of the game. This is weird, but I'm going to go with it. What did you eat in a typical day? Again, coming oh from goodness. a school where, like, yeah. I see the football players in the dining hall being like, how much can you actually <laughs> eat? How Like, what is the, the strategy behind what you eat yeah. and what they would want you to eat and how much you would eat in a day? Yeah, so it was interesting because it wasn't very healthy food. <laughs> it was That's a surprising. lot. It was a lot of... Uh, a lot of cookies, ice cream, uh, a lot of pasta, a lot of bison, bison meat, bison burgers, because bison, I guess, is lean, I guess. 
Um, Where do the, how did you get bison and then cookies? So it would be funny because we'd have dinner, and then like at the end of the line would be this incredible like candy monster. It was like ice cream, uh, cookies. It was like candy. It was everything you wanted. Um, and guys would just engorge on that stuff and just. In my next life. It's like in soccer. I, during halftime, they bring out like gummy bears and things like that. Keep you, yeah, keep to you give going. your sugar level yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just blows my mind. Like, this is the worst crap you can yeah. put in your body. <laughs> like, and these a are, banana. <laughs> these like, are professional <laughs> athletes. I think part of it is like the athlete's body runs really hot because mm-hmm. you're always running and going. So your engine's always burning. So you're always burning calories. So I guess their mindset was um, we're going to just have you taking a lot of calories so that you don't lose weight mm-hmm. very rapidly because it's really hard to keep weight on during camp because it's so hot out and you're always running around you're always sweating so I think just keeping guys keeping weight on was part of that that was part of the science behind it or fake science I don't know <laughs> so I watch a lot of like weird you know trashy TV shows like the game on yeah, BT and yeah. a lot that glamorize what football's like mm-hmm. did people start to treat you differently once you were signed to the Colts 100% oh yeah it was very weird a lot of IG DMs. Really? DM, DM was popping. Wow. After. Like from people that you knew or just like randos? Both. Both. Like, um, I have a fiance, so nothing weird. But, sure. um, <laughs> but um, like, you know, people just inquiring about whether I need financial assistance, um, like assistance, like, you know, managing finances that I didn't have yet. Um, uh, you know, just like people who I hadn't talked to in years, like maybe 10 years. Reaching out, like, hey man, heard you sign with the Colts. Congratulations, we should meet up sometime. I have this business idea. I got oh, oh my god, I got god. this idea for like a scooter business. I want to pitch for you. <laughs> <A> scooter business. <laughs> a scooter business. Um, just this like, poor you know, guy <laughs> is going to be listening to our podcast, be like, I was genuine. I wanted to help. But even yeah, like when you were out and about, like when you were yeah. out and about in town, yeah, people sure. like again, like my my brain straight goes like to the club. Like, yeah. are you getting bottle service and all that, or do people just um, are they nicer to you? I will say this: in Indianapolis, while I was there, I never paid for a drink. Wow! And I think there you go. Part of that was just Midwestern hospitality, because I'd go there with a couple teammates. And say, oh, the Colts are here. Have here's a beer. Like mm-hmm. here's a, here's a drink. Like here's a here's a table. Like don't don't worry about it. Like have fun, um, especially after a win. So like you know, I think. Um, stuff like that, that was different because it was just hospitality. Sure. Um, and we always reciprocated with, you know, paying what we can, paying what we could, or what we what they let us pay mm-hmm. type of thing. But, yeah, I never really um, – they, they showed a lot of love, like, as far as, like, walking down the street. People mm-hmm. just, like, treating you really well, having fun, saying hi. Yeah. So how did you stay grounded if you basically are thrown into this world from Harvard, like, which is not a small pound by any means, mm-hmm. to then the NFL? Did your parents and your family basically, like, give you a reality check or mm-hmm. – um, how did you sort of keep that sense of humility that you have now? I kept my humility because I didn't, I hadn't achieved what I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I made it to the NFL, but you know, I my parents were still living in Brockton, mm-hmm. um, you know, still in the same house I grew up in. Um, so from that perspective, I hadn't really achieved everything I wanted to achieve. If you understand what I mean, mm-hmm. so um, I that was that's what kept me grounded, like knowing that I'm still really early on in my career, I still have a lot to achieve. Um, so I really wanted to meet those goals before anything, like, before I got too overconfident or mm-hmm. anything like that, yeah. So as training camp wound down, yeah. um, what were your expectations as to what would happen to you, thinking of making the team? Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, I had no idea. Um, I felt that I did very well during camp, and, I, and the coaches told me so. I, I had a good camp. Um, but I just didn't really know where I was going to fall or whether I was get, I get cut or not. Um, and then... 
Um, the day of cuts, um, one of the coaches like grabbed me and was like, hey, they're probably going to let you go, but don't leave. We're gonna, probably going to re-sign you to like the practice squad. So the practice squad is essentially a team of, like I think it's 11 people, 9 to 11 people, um, who are high-caliber players but just can't fit them on the roster at the, at the time for various reasons. Um, and for me, they said, like, you know, you're from a small, small college football school. We think that giving you more time to develop on the practice squad would be probably the best thing to do for you. For me, it was great. I, I, te- I technically wasn't cut. I was on the team still. Um, and just being around the guys and being able to still pursue that NFL sort of goal is still there for me. Um, so, yeah, they came. A lot of guys got cut. Um, they called me and said, hey, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna sign you to the practice squad, so just stick around. So I signed the practice squad, and that's how it went from there. I have sort of a broader question also about being in the NFL. How concerned were you about your actual physical health during this time? We've heard a lot about CTE and Mm -hmm. traumatic brain injury and sort of the ramifications of that. Were you concerned about it? Would they talk to you about that also in the locker room? Um, They definitely did not talk about it. CTE or head injuries were Mm -hmm. not discussed openly amongst teammates or coaches. Um, I was definitely concerned about it. Um, I mean, I still tell people to this day, like, I feel... I definitely feel some type of, you know, um, not cognitive issues, but as far as um, not being as sharp as I used to be, mm. right? Like, I have to, like, maybe there's a little bit of a delay in, like, the way I maybe think about stuff. Like, somebody asked me a question, I have to think about it maybe a little bit longer than I used to when I was younger. So I think maybe it's age, maybe it's maybe, maybe, maybe it is football, I'm not sure. But just being honest with myself, I do think that there were some effects of playing football for me personally. Um, I did have a few concussions um, unreported. I didn't know there were concussions mm-hmm. until after the fact, um, when teammates told me that I looked like I was a ghost on the, oh on the football field. Oh, wow. That's definitely a concussion. <laughs> and I didn't know until later on. Um, but they were, I guess, relatively mild because I wasn't, I was, I had didn't have issues with, with, with light or anything like that. So I, I was fine after uh, like a day or two. But, um, but yeah, I think there were definitely opportunities for the NFL to sort of be more open about what may result as a as, as a result of playing the game. Yeah, it yeah. seems like they're trying to, I mean, trying to still figure it out, and yeah. it's such an inherent part of our culture here, yeah. you know, in the States about playing football. And, it's a slippery and, slope, for Yeah, sure. for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, but you did, You actually then had a serious injury. Yeah, so I um, I hurt my back pretty seriously. Um, first time was in college, um, lifting weights. Um, had, like, a few bulging discs. Um, so when a disc bulges, it, it pinches the nerves in the in your back and then send shooting pains down your back. Oh. Um it's so, really painful. Yes, it's actually pretty debilitating if you have like pretty serious ones. Um and so it first happened in college, it wasn't as bad. Um I got over it over a couple of days. Then in the NFL it happened again and it got to a point where um like I was I'd wake up in the morning and um I couldn't really walk. I like have to like warm myself up before I got out of bed. Um and um so it was really bad. Um, and it got to a point where I just couldn't really be the player I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of talking to doctors and figuring out hey, what's the best route to go here. Um, it's kind of sort of like, you know, it's probably best to stop playing at that point. Um, for, for me, it was like, you know, I, it wasn't worth the long-term effects of serious back injuries. And I'm still dealing with the back issues now. Um, I, can't, I can't be as, you know, physically active to the point of, you know, that I, that I want to be at. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's really just like, you know, trying to moderate the pain and figure out the best ways to, to deal with it. So when you've made that decision yeah. with doctors that it's probably time to end football, mm-hmm. what'd you go do? Um, so after that, I came back home to Boston, back to my parents' house. And um, so I had a job offer um, from State Street Bank um, when I was a senior in college um, for this rotational program they had for college graduates. Um because my parents wanted me to have like a backup plan to the NFL because they like certainty. Smart parents. Yeah, they like have a backup plan <laughs> just in case it doesn't happen. So I interviewed, got a job. Uh, luckily for me, they let me defer once I signed with the Colts. I said, hey, I'm playing football. I can't come. It's the first day at work. They're like, sure, whatever. See you whenever, right? Um, so they left the door open for me. And I didn't think they were serious about it. So I emailed my contact there. And he was like, yeah, man, when can you start? Like, show up whenever. Like, sure. Um, so I started... Uh, March of 2015 um, at State Street in their program. Um, so I, I did a bunch of different things. It was a rotational program. Uh, I did some internal consulting. I did sales trading. Um, I did a little bit of operations. I had a lot of fun, like, you know, being back home in Boston, sort of still on that high. Um, and just, you know, a lot of people asking about the NFL and sort of talking to them about that. And that was a lot of fun. Was it hard to leave football, though? You said that you were thinking about like outweighing the risks of your yeah. health versus playing and it seems like if you're doing well in a sport yeah. everyone's probably telling you to keep pushing yourself yeah and to basically push yourself until you break and then yeah. walk away when you sort of leave it all on the field literally yeah. was it hard to leave or were you at the also just mentally ready to for something different oh, it was extremely hard like I still to this day struggle watching football on TV mm. because it's just um, really hard I'm relatively still young so it's like you know could I have played could I have played through it always runs through my head. Um, so yeah, it was very, very difficult sort of going back to like civilian, being like a regular mm-hmm. regular person working a regular job, you know, being extremely large. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you sort of shop? Sticking out <laughs> everywhere. I, everywhere I can find a, a place that has like, you know, athletic fit clothes. Uh, when I was playing football, I get my clothes tailored, which was very expensive. I wouldn't recommend it unless you have to do it. Um, it's very expensive, but, um, yeah, so I shop usually like Macy's is good for for clothes. They have like athletic fit clothes. Um, Gap has athletic fit as well. So it's pretty good. Do you miss it? Or is there also a sense of like you were saying what could have been? I miss it. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. yeah. I miss it a lot. Um, so much to the point where I thought about going back to coach, um, football at one point because one of my good friends is actually, uh, uh, head of player personnel for the Cleveland Browns. He's mm-hmm. a Harvard guy, so um, we've been in touch still to this day. He's always, like, texting me, hey, you ready to come back yet? What's going on? <laughs> After B-School, you should come back. <laughs> you know, I was actually asking Andrew if we had a stern football team. I think we do. Agreed. We do. Yeah, we have yeah. a, a touch football team. You yeah. could start your coaching career here. I mean, this I could. could be the place to start. I'm I sure could. we could use your help a lot. I think um, I, I prob- I've thought about that, more about playing. <laughs> um, but coaching might be an option. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not too sure if they take well to me screaming at them on the football field. I mean, again, I think they need all the help they can get. So we'll, we'll make some calls for you. That's for sure. What was the transition like to coming to get your MBA? Yeah. When did you make that decision? Yeah. So um, I always knew I wanted to get my MBA pretty early on. Um, just as a young person, I, I read a lot. Um, and I would read like, okay, well, XX, like person's name, comma, MBA. Or like person got their MBA at Stern or CBS. Like, hey, what's, what, like, what's an MBA? As like a ten year old, so I look it up. 
uh, master's in business administration. It's pretty cool. Like, I guess leaders have to get that eventually. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, I want to be a leader, so I want to get my MBA eventually. So at a very young age, I was like, I should probably get my MBA at some point. So over the course of, you know, in college, I did a lot of pre-MBA programs geared towards um, underrepresented minority students. So I did a lot of those in, while at Harvard, but at different schools, um, sort, of, sort of getting the feel for what it, the MBA life is like. Um, so I always knew that, like, whether I was playing football or not playing football, I wanted to get my MBA. Um, so I sort of got the wheels rolling a couple years ago, um, took the GMAT, and then applied to schools about a year ago, I guess. Now. You mentioned that you loved to read. Yeah. Um, but I also heard that you really love poetry. I love poetry. Yeah. And I heard that you are, I don't even know what the, what the right way to say this, like a spoken word. Yeah. Savant. You know. so, yes, savant. <laughs> no. Great. I mean, listen, I'll take it. So yeah. uh, clearly I don't have that. I'm not a spoken word savant. But um, that you went to the state finals for a poetry contest. Yeah, yeah. So I used to write. I used to be very big into the arts. And I think football kind of pulled me away from that because you don't see many athletes being big in the arts, unfortunately. Um, but when I was younger, I used to write a lot of short stories. I used to write poetry. I used to do a lot of, like, paintings and drawings. Um, and so my, was it? I think my senior year or junior year of high school, um, my English teacher, um, Mr. Uh, Hernandez, was Man, like, you remember all your teacher's I know, names. I, <laughs> what is this? I don't know what teacher I have at 10 o'clock today. And you're like, Mr. Hernandez, you know, back in the day. I was literally filling out my homework class, and I was like, what's the name of this professor? <laughs> how to put his name on this paper. I'm sorry. Um, Continue I, your I story. I, like, <laughs> I, I, I associate names with relationships and, like, you know, experiences, so that's how I kind of remember his name. Uh, Mr. Hernandez was like, "Hey, there's this poetry comp- competition at statewide. I'm gonna, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to have all of your classmates, including yourself, pick a poem and then recite it in front of the class. And then whoever wins the class is gonna recite it in front of the whole sort of junior class. And then whoever wins the school one is gonna go to states. Um, then whoever wins states will go to nationals. Um, so I, I won the uh, the BC high one, the high school one." I placed third at states, so I was pretty close to going to the nationals, which is in D.C. But the poem I did was um, a Langston Hughes poem, theme for English, theme for English B. Mm-hmm. Um, I still loved. I don't know the words verbatim now, but I still like. It's one of the most powerful poems. It's about like a student who like called up to read in front of the class, mm-hmm. um, and he sort of like comes sort of like rips into his teacher who's a white man, um, about, like, how, you know, there's not opportunities for young people of his of his, of his hue uh, in the society and sort of, like, ripping into it. So, like, I was, it was me at this, you know, Irish Catholic high school, predominantly uh, white men. It was all, all boys' school. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I am read this really provocative poem, um, and it sort of, I guess, it was very powerful, and it won me the competition. When's the last time you read the poem? Uh... Years ago, years, yeah. You want to give it a shot now? I can, I can try, yeah. Yeah, I have. I have. We pulled it up for you. <laughs> I was ready. I was like, I want to hear oh, a spoken my word. Goodness, Devna bag of tricks. Listen, let's go. Let's let's do it. I haven't read this thing, and I, I used accents. Even just like a, a line or two that might be your favorite. Okay, the beginning is really powerful. So, okay, I'm going to say it like I did it at the. I'm going to say the first like stanza, theme for English B by Langston Hughes. The instructor said, go home and write a page tonight. And let that page come out of you. Then it will be true. I wonder if it's that simple. I'm 22, colored, 
born in Winston-Salem. I went to school there, then Durham, then here, to this college on the hill above Harlem. I'm the only colored student in my class. The steps from the hill lead down into Harlem, through a park, then across St. Nicholas, 8th Avenue, 7th, and I come to the Y, the Harlem branch Y, where I came, where I take the elevator up to my room, sit down and write this page. It's not easy to know what is true for you or me at 22, my age, but I guess I'm what I feel and see and hear. Harlem, I hear you. Hear you, hear me, we too, you, me, talk on this page. I hear New York too, me, who? Well, I like to eat, sleep, drink, and be in love. I like to work, read, learn, and understand life. I like a pipe for a Christmas present or records, Bessie, Bop, or Bach. I guess being colored doesn't make me not like the same things other folks like who are other races. So will my page be colored that I write? Being me, it will not be white, but it will be a part of you, instructor. You are white, yet a part of me as I am a part of you. That's American. Sometimes perhaps you don't want to be a part of me, nor do I often want to be a part of you. But we are, that's true. As I learn from you, I guess you learn from me, although you're older and white and somewhat more free. This is my page for English B. Wow. Can we clap? I'm literally clapping and <laughs> like, standing right now. Wow. I'd also like to say that Namdi was not actually reading this. It like came, yeah, it came from back. you. That's crazy. I haven't read that in, wow, eight, maybe nine years, ten years? That was amazing. That's like, that still brings chills. I, I read that and it all came back. Yeah, it's pretty The awesome. delivery was next level. Yeah, and I love I love how it makes, so there's a lot about New York in here. It's yeah. really interesting now it's that you funny. live in New York and so Stern. St. Nicholas, yeah. I live on St. Nicholas now. Full circle. St. Nicholas Avenue, I'm in Harlem. It's pretty crazy. Wow. Listen. That's sick. <laughs> Langston Hughes, we're just we're just elevating this whole program today. I'm literally at a loss of words <laughs> right now. We're recording this at eight in the morning, and you, you got me. You got wow. me, Namdi. Thanks for bringing that up, Devin. That was awesome. Of course. I mean, yeah, listen, cool. it was a pleasure. That's cool. It was a pleasure. Um, you know, one part of the poem that I thought really, I saw your your eyes light up. You said. Well, I like to eat, sleep, sleep. I like to eat, sleep, drink, and be in love. Yeah. And so, I'd love to hear about. You mentioned your fiance. <laughs> yeah. And you know, we talked a lot about your family. Um, what's it like to be in B school? You know, what what is she doing what now? Is she doing? I yeah. assume she's very supportive of this. Yeah. Um, so she's way cooler and way smarter than I am. Um, that's so the way to go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> marry gotta, up. Gotta marry up. <laughs> gotta <laughs> always marry up. <laughs> so. Um, She's actually at uh, Yale Med at this point. At this point in New Haven, wow. um, NBD. You know, no big deal. You know, it's whatever. Small school in New Haven. It's all good. <laughs> no, is there like a Harvard Yale thing between you guys? Though no, it's funny because we met at Harvard. We were, oh, we were the same class. Okay, got you. Um, so we met freshman year. Started talking. Started dating. Dated all through college. She supported me when I was indie playing football. Um, did the long distance thing for a few years. Um, and part of the reason why I transitioned out of State Street to a job in Connecticut because she was at Yale Med. So I was like, I wanted to be closer to her. Um, so yeah, she's there. She's getting an MD, PhD, focusing on uh, maternal health and intimate partner violence. So wow. that's her research. It's pretty heavy stuff. So she's awesome. Yeah. 
That's awesome. I have like no words anymore. Like you read this poem, your fiance is MD, PhD. Like I, I just don't even know anymore. <laughs> so I guess to close out, what brought you to Stern and yeah. what's next for you? Um, so the, what brought me to Stern is are the students, the people. Aside from the incredible MBA program, I think speaks for itself. But one thing that I really wanted was um, classmates who I could relate to on a different level outside of academics. I think the EQ part of Stern's mantra is really important because they really recruit that way and they really plug that everywhere they go. And it shines in the students, the faculty, the, um, the administration. Um, so I think that once I got here and I realized, okay, this EQ thing is legit. People mm-hmm. like take this really seriously and it shines. People are really nice. They really want to get to know you on a different level. They really want to be uh, intimately your, your friend outside of school. And I think that that's really what brought me Brought me here. Um, I'm in the rat race recruiting for consulting. So that's ramping up. Enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I did it and then just didn't go consulting. But I'm enjoy not, it. I'm not enjoying it. I'm trying to, but it's 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 a rat race for sure. So um, doing that, a lot of case prep and meeting with study groups and balancing school on top of that. So I think midterms are coming up. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting come the next couple of weeks. But I'm sure you crush that networking circle. Oh, uh, like... you know, once I mentioned the football thing. Kind of just people just like fade away, and then it's, <laughs> it's just true. him and the consultant one on one, and there's your interview. It's true. I mean, we I think we underestimate how much football is really part of our, the fabric of our country. Yeah. I've had a lot of international students and friends here who say, yeah. I came to the states, and the first thing I did is I asked my study group or my block block is like basically your homeroom here to teach me football, and they would like, <laughs> and what teams do you love? Because yeah. it just it's something you can talk about that that creates this like understanding and bond between people, agree, um, yeah. and that people are really passionate about here. Definitely agree. Yeah, I mean it's uh, like I said, it's a very American mm-hmm. football. Like my, my my parents moved to Dallas, Texas, and became Dallas Cowboys fans. So it's like it's very American. Um, so it's definitely a common thread amongst a lot of Americans. Did sure. people? Did your family or friends in Nigeria? Do they? Were they like excited that you played? Or oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I mean my um, my grandmother before she passed away. Um, would always sort of ask about how I was doing playing football mm-hmm. and how, how that was going. So, yeah, they really supported me. I think the coolest part about spending time with you is knowing that you've had a really cool, unique experience, you know, at Harvard and the NFL, but there is so much more that we know that's going to come from you. You've I only just that. begun. Thank you. Appreciate that. That's been fun. Would you consider going back to Nigeria um, post-turn? Yeah. To see your family there, build a life there? For sure. For sure. So I'm, I'm actually going back for Christmas. Nice this year to see some family, um, but yeah, I think post MBA down the road, I definitely I'm considering moving back there, um, just because there's a lot of resources that are untapped mm-hmm. um, from a professional standpoint, social standpoint. I think a lot of people leave Nigeria and don't go back, as they do a lot of other countries. Um, but I think it's it's a big thing for people who have come to America and benefited to go back home and sort of bring that what you've learned to the people and mm-hmm. sort of you know help. Help, help your country thrive. So I think that's one thing I really want to do down the road eventually. Yeah, and I hope that you're part of Stern in Africa. So two of yes, the, the co-presidents are two of my closest friends yeah. that are both Nigerian, and yeah. <laughs> I've learned a lot about this beautiful culture, you know, the family, the food, yeah. the, like, joy, the music. Yeah. I mean, it's an, it's an incredible place, and that I hope that we can all go sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Namdi, thank you so much for coming in today. We thank really you appreciated you coming on the show. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Take care. Thanks.